Good morning. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And... uh, Those are words that we often hear uh, this coming up to uh, Christmas time and uh, it leads us nicely into our service this morning, our service of Holy Communion. God reminds us through these verses how much he cared and still cares for us. So this morning as we participate in our communion service, let us all be thankful whether we're here and meet together or you're listening online we're thankful to god our king for all that he has done and given for us amen can i invite david and come forward and read god's word the reading this morning is from the gospel of john chapter 18 beginning at verse 28 Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. And with this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Thank you, David. So we continue uh, our series, Men of Faith. Um, looking at different characters um, through the scriptures, both Old and New Testament um, 
and what we can learn from them, the legacy that they leave for us um, today. Um, we've looked at ladies, uh, or women of faith, um, and now we're through this topic of the men of faith. So far we've looked at people like Noah. We saw that Noah walked with God, and he was faithful, he was obedient, and he went against the flow. He did, he, he did exactly the opposite of what the culture around him wanted him to do. Looked at the character of Joseph. Uh, he had perseverance, even in the midst of all of his trials and his troubles, in the midst of not really understanding why God was, the situations was happening around him, why his family would sell him into slavery into Egypt, but eventually able to say that people had intended it for harm, but God had intended it for good. Then we looked at Moses. We looked at the fact that Moses was courageous um, and that he sought God's presence. He wasn't willing to continue if God's presence didn't go with him. Uh, he was willing not to move at all, to wait, to be patient, to sit and wait for God's presence because Moses knew, um, like the scriptures teach us, that without God's presence, what it is that we do uh, is pointless. Then we looked at Gideon and we looked at the fact that he had strength and weakness. He was hiding in a wine press from the Midianites, but yet God looked at him and said, you are a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty warrior. And I'm calling that out of you to lead my people. And even though his 32,000 strong army was disintegrated to only 300 men, Gideon defeated the Midianites against all the odds so that the nation of Israel could not say it was them who had done it. They could only declare that it was God, and that the nations around them could see that the God of Israel was the one true God. Last week we looked at the character of Stephen, um, how Stephen being the first martyr, um, how his sacrifice, his boldness, his unwillingness to deny Jesus um, sits in stark contrast to the man that we look at today, Pontius Pilate, who was willing to wash his hands of Jesus. And so from Stephen we saw about sacrifice and boldness in how he proclaimed his story and his faith. And today we're going to look at Pontius Pilate. And Pilate is hardly a savoury character. Uh, he's not the first person that pops into your mind whenever you think, ah, great men of faith from the Bible. Who should we look at? Pontius Pilate. So this is going to be interesting. So let's pray before we do. Father God, we thank you uh, for who you are. We thank you that you are present with us. And in this moment, we think it's your Holy Spirit, alive and active amongst us, will inspire new truth and new words of hope from the passages that we look at today. In your name we pray. Amen. As I said, Pilate's hardly the first person that pops into your mind whenever you think men of faith. Uh, yet, all the characters of the Bible are there for us to learn from. Um, and so we can learn something from Pilate today. Pilate was a governor of Judea. Uh, he was a Roman. He was... Um, sent to look after that particular area of the Roman Empire. Um, and he, as such, he had great power. Actually, it was only Pilate who could sentence someone to death. No one else had the power to do that. So the ultimate power of Caesar rested on Pilate's shoulders for that particular part of the Roman Empire. Everything that he did, he did it in Caesar's name and on Caesar's behalf. And we'll see that a little bit later if we dig into this. And Pilate ruled for uh, just over 10 years in the nation of, in the region of Judea. Uh, and that's important, actually, because it was customary that Caesar would only have kept his governors for two or three years. So the fact that history records that Pilate was there for over 10 years meant that Pilate must have been doing an extremely good job in an extremely difficult place, according 
to Caesar, that is. <laughs> uh, not necessarily according to the lens that we look at things. And so Caesar must have thought, Pilate is the man for that job, and so we keep that rolling. We don't shift him, we keep him where he is, uh, because things are going well. Rebellions are quashed. There's generally peace in the region, um, and things are going okay. And so it's likely that Pilate would have known about Jesus before he meets Jesus in this moment. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law will have been whispering in Pilate's ears about this rabble-riser, as they would have called Jesus. This one who is trying to strike rebellion in the hearts of the people. And Caesar would want you to do something about that, Pilate. And we see that in this passage, whenever they are saying that, and things like, you know, like, um, Caesar, would have, Caesar would have wanted you to have done that. Um, this man is declaring that he's a king, but there is no king but Caesar. So surely if you don't squash this, Caesar's going to be very cross with you, isn't he? And so these Sadducees, these teachers of the law, these religious leaders of the day who were against Jesus because they didn't like that this new teacher was rising up above them, their jealousy, their... Um, yeah, was rising uh, within them. And so they wanted to get rid of Jesus as much uh, as the Romans didn't want Jesus to start a rebellion. Because normally the Jews saw Pilate and Rome and Caesar uh, as something to be despised, someone to be despised. They didn't like the Roman Empire. They didn't like that they were under occupation from the Roman Empire. So the fact that the religious leaders are going and sitting at Pilate's feet and whispering in his ear and encouraging him to do something like this is important in this story because religious leaders were okay with using what means they had to use to get the means, the ends that they wanted. In many ways, they were willing to bend the rules of their own culture and their own nation to ensure they succeeded in what it was that they wanted, the ultimate destruction of Jesus. And so they brought Jesus to Pilate because they couldn't kill him themselves. They tried that. You, you will see that they've, they tried to try Jesus, but they find no fault within him. Pilate finds no fault in him either. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders had tried everything that they could to keep Jesus and his disciples quiet, but nothing that they'd done would keep the Son of God, the Messiah, quiet. And so in one sense, they're almost getting to the end of their teller. They're, they're now going to their enemies, the, their occupiers, uh, the people who are keeping them down, and they're saying, here, hold on a minute, will you give us a wee hand with this? You have the ultimate authority. And a few moments later in our service, in our liturgy, we'll recite that ancient uh, creed, the Nicene Creed. And we know that creeds were devised, written by uh, the church through the centuries to enable us to recall the truths that we stand by, to recall the foundations that our faith is built upon. And often the creeds were written within the context of the church because there was conversations, disagreements, arguments happening, and that theology was trying to be shifted, that the passing of the faith was being changed. And so the leaders of the church in that moment would have sat down and said, well, this is what we believe. Now we begin to state it, to recite it, to write it upon our hearts so that we know it and understand it. And in the Nicene Creed, we will come to that line today about Pontius Pilate. 
And normally, if I don't know if you're like me, but I'd have to start at the very beginning of the creed and work my own way through it to try to remember what that line might be. It was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And so whilst Pilate is an unsavory character, whilst he's not the one that pops to mind in terms of a man of faith, he is an important character in the great story of salvation that God lays out for us. So what can we learn from him today? Well, in John chapter 18 um, and verse 38, we hear these words. What is truth? Pilate asked Jesus. With this, he went out again to the Jews and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Pilate found no case against Jesus. But as I said a wee bit earlier, the religious leaders were beginning to coerce or to trick Pilate, if you like, and began to say, hey, hold on a minute. This man's declaring that he's a king and there's no king but Caesar. You have to do something about this. So Pilate relented to the pressure around him and he went out and asked, if I'm not going to release this man at the Passover, who should I release? And they shouted back, give us Barabbas. Now in some of the other Gospels, the crowd began to chant and to cheer, Barabbas, 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 Barabbas. They're encouraged to do so. They're encouraged to release a rabble-rouser, an insurrectionist, a thief, and a murderer, rather than release Jesus. chapter 19 verse 7 it says the Jews insisted we have a law and according to that law he must die because he claimed to be the son of God when Pilate heard this he was even more afraid if he went back into the palace where do you come from he asked Jesus but Jesus gave him no answer Jesus was silent Sometimes that is the most powerful response to accusations that are made against us. And life groups would have been looking at that last week as we discussed Stephen and the fact that Stephen did not answer the question that was posed to him. He simply stated his story and his faith rather than getting into a debate and an argument. Because we know that no one has ever been won to salvation in Jesus Christ because you've started an argument with them or because you've engaged in an argument with them. They do so because the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives, in our lives, and in the sharing of what God has done for me, for you, for us. The bit that's missing in the story of Pilate, in the John's version of it, we can find um, in uh, Matthew's version. Pilate's wife had a dream. And she came to him and she told him the dream. And she urged Pilate to listen to her. Whenever she said, have nothing to do with this man, because it will cause even more trouble for you. Maybe there's a lesson there for some of us today that we need to listen to our wives. 
and move on. But Jesus declared that his kingdom was not of this world. See, the Messiah, the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah to come to bring God's kingdom. They imagined that would be the overthrowing of the Roman Empire because that was the oppressor of their day. And Jesus is now declaring, you call me a king, but I am, my kingdom is not of this world, he says. Verse 37, Pilate says to him, you're a king then. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. Jesus knows that this is the moment. This is his moment. This is the moment that all, everything else is culminating in. And for this I came into the world to testify the truth. Everyone who's on the side of the truth listens to me. My kingdom is not of this world. And whilst we know and we believe with all of our hearts and with all of our minds and with all of our souls that God is sovereign and God is in control in this world and the next, we know that there is a kingdom, there is a spiritual force happening around us for good and for evil. That's what the scriptures teach us. And he is the king of that place. He is seated on the right hand of God Almighty. We will recite some of that again later in our service. Because he is sovereign over absolutely everything. And that famous image of Pilate that we chat about with the kids of him washing his hands is found in the Matthew passage, actually, not the John passage. We have that phrase today, don't we? Um, however, we don't want to take responsibility for something. We wash our hands of it. Now, we don't normally say, I'm going to wash my hands of it. Normally, it's almost like a derogatory thing that's spoken of someone else. <laughs> they wash their hands of me, or <laughs> they wash their hands of that situation. And what we mean by that is we retell a story from our perspective is that that person did not take responsibility for their actions. And that's the first lesson that we can learn from Pilate today. We need to take responsibility for our own words and our own actions. The washing of his hands did not hide the fact that Pilate was indeed the one who sentenced Jesus to death. The world could see it and the world knows it. And so in a sense, Pilate was only kidding himself whenever he did. Preacher included, we need to take responsibility for our own words and for our own actions. And the second lesson I think we can learn from Pilate today is this. Pilate wavers whenever he's confronted with Jesus. It would have been normal if the one who had the ultimate authority from Caesar, the governor of that region, had been presented with a rabble-rouser and a rebellious person with all of those accusations around him, he would have easily sentenced that person to death to squash it there and then. But we see in this interaction that Pilate goes to the, the religious leaders and says, are you, are you sure about this? Then he goes back to Jesus and he has a conversation with Jesus. And then he goes back to religious leaders. And then he goes back to Jesus. And then he goes back to the crowd. And then he goes back to Jesus. He wavers whenever he is confronted 
with Jesus. Because what you do with Jesus matters. So are you wavering with him today? Or do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Do you recognize him as your king? As the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for the things that you and I have done wrong? Because in the day that we stand before him, our wavering in this moment will not cut much ice. So we need to take responsibility for our own actions, our own words. We're not to waver whenever we're confronted with Jesus. And the third and final thing I think we can take from this today is that sometimes the choices that seem the clearest seem to be the most complex. It should have been a clear-cut decision for Pilate to walk out and say, crucify him. But sometimes the situations that we find ourselves in are complex and difficult and hard to navigate. But we need to know that in the midst of that difficulty, that complexity, in the path that we're finding it hard to navigate within, that the Lord is present with us. And that he is working out his purpose and his sovereign power. Because ultimately, Jesus needed to be sentenced to death, to be crucified in order that he could pay the sin, the price for our sin on the cross. But Pilate allowed the risk of this world to determine his actions. He allowed the voices of the crowd to sway his decisions. And we need to be careful that we don't do the same in our complex situations. Maybe we need to evaluate the risk of this world. The risk of making a decision according to what this world would want us to do. And make that evaluation in light that we worship a king whose kingdom is not of this world. Because leading can be fraught with difficulty. Making decisions that everyone will like takes responsibility. I know somewhat of that having been in church leadership now for over 25 years. Because you've probably often heard it said, no matter what you do, you'll not please everybody. And whether you like it or not, you are a leader in some context of your life. Other people look up to you in a family, in a street, in a workplace, in a school, in a friendship circle. So ensuring that we are not swayed from the purpose that we believe that God has given to us is key. 
because we always need to hold him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, declaring through all that we do that Jesus Christ is Lord and not washing our hands of the complex situations, but inviting Jesus to be a part of them with us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are indeed present. Even in the midst of complexity and difficulty and uncertainty, we thank you that you're sovereign and in control. We thank you that even in the difficult times, never we need to take responsibility, that you give us the strength to do so. And there are times where we where we need to be in a place of leadership within a conversation or a situation that you will give us words to say and strength to be. So help us, Lord, today to declare that you are indeed King of kings and Lord of lords. In your precious and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So.